0: right, we'll have to listen to that a little later on, because uh, that was Jeff Healey band, by the way, while my guitar gently weeps. My next guest, Nick Middleton, has called in from Oxford to talk about his book, An Atlas of Countries That Don't Exist. Good morning, Nick.
1: I'm audible, am I?
0: Yes, you are audible. You are on. Okay, good. <laughs> Thank you for calling in. That's all right. I know you're not calling in from right around the corner, either. You're calling in from Oxford, so I really appreciate it. Jolly good. So tell me, Nick, how did you decide to write this book, An Atlas of Countries That Don't Exist?
1: You know, there are a couple of um, influences. For years, I've traveled overseas and um, been faced with the question, what's the difference between England, Scotland, Wales, and the United Kingdom? And um, it's quite a complicated state of affairs here. And then a, a couple of years ago, there was a more pointed driver of the idea, which was me reading a children's classic to my then seven-year-old daughter, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, mm-hmm. in which there's a mythical land behind the back of a wardrobe. And it got me thinking about places that might be there, but you're not really familiar with them. And once I started looking into it, I was amazed at how many would-be countries there are out there.
0: It's so interesting because I think I I might have heard of a few of these, but most of them I have not. And I love how... You make it very easy to understand and tell a story about each one.
1: That's the idea, is to introduce people to places which are there, but they may not have heard of them. And most of them do come with interesting stories, some of them sad, some of them a bit mad, and some of them just downright bizarre. But I was amazed at how many would-be countries there are out there. There are 50 in this atlas of countries that don't exist, but I could have filled it several times over.
0: That was my next question, is how did you boil it down to just these 50?
1: There we are. There are representatives from all the continents, Mm -hmm. so I wanted to have a decent geographical spread. But in places where I had to make choices... Uh, I'd either go with uh, perhaps the lesser-known of two, or if there were two, like in Spain, for example, there's Catalonia and the Basque Country, both perhaps well-known to many people. So I chose Catalonia, perhaps because they have a a high degree of autonomy already, but quite a large portion of the population would like a bit more still. Um, but in other places, there was only one candidate, Greenland. It's a huge island, uh, which you may or may not know has been run by Denmark for nearly 300 years. And yet, in recent decades, they've been ceding sovereignty. They've been giving back a little bit more autonomy. And of all the places in, in this book... Uh, uh, I'd say perhaps Greenland has the best chance of getting full autonomy, being a proper country within my lifetime. It's a distinct possibility.
0: Amazing. Now, did this make you want to go and visit a lot of these places, or have you seen a lot of these places? Yeah,
1: I haven't actually been to that many, perhaps uh, eight or nine of them. Um, And some of them are uh, uh, easier to access than others. Some of them are actually quite difficult to get to for various reasons, not least um, political instability in some cases. But some of them are, are very desirable. I mean, I'm lucky enough to have been to Greenland, and I can tell you that it's a fantastically beautiful place,
0: That's what
1: I've heard. Um, although, albeit very cold at times.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> but uh, others are, are rather more difficult. I've also been to West Papua, which is a land of swamps and high humidity and incredible heat, and uh, an awful lot of mosquitoes, so I wouldn't recommend that, that one.
0: No, thank you. <laughs> so tell me, what were some places that stood out as big surprises as you were writing this book?
1: Um, Well, Taiwan was a surprise. Uh, Before I started looking into it, I I, I think I did just assume it was a country. Mm -hmm. Um, Many people would regard it as a country. But what really surprised me was the fact that it used to be a UN member state and was kicked out. In 1971, the rest of the UN members decided that they'd only got one seat for China and Taiwan had had it, but actually they were going to take it away and give it to mainland China. So since then, Taiwan has sort of existed in a, uh, a sovereignty never-never land, if you like, because most countries, including yours and mine, do not... Officially recognise Taiwan as a as a fully fledged country, and yet we still sort of engage with it on a subliminal level, and we we don't have a proper embassy, but we've got a very big trade delegation and so on. And yet it's got a, a very large population, its own big economy, its own currency. It behaves for all intents and purposes like a country, but for many other countries, it doesn't exist.
0: Unbelievable. Lots of surprises as I was looking through this book. I mean, Minerva, am I saying correctly? Minerva?
1: Yeah, Minerva.
0: Population it, zero. It, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's
1: right. Yeah. Minerva and Redonda, um, they're both islands, and both have uh, interesting, yeah. unusual histories. Um, uh, they're not places that most people would necessarily like to live in uh, because they're only just above sea level in the case of Minerva. Um, but it was the site of an attempt to um, create a country uh, some uh, uh, decades ago, and the King of Tonga, because it's within the, uh, it's in the South Pacific, it's in Tongan national waters, uh, set up a, a small expedition to go and reclaim Minerva for his own uh, purposes, for his own country. Redonda, which is a a slightly larger island in the Caribbean, also has a population of zero actually living there. But it's a truly bizarre one because it has at least nine claims to be king of Redonda. Uh, It's a a (laughs) lengthy um, story, but um, involving a a not very good poet in Britain who, uh, in order to try and raise money, was selling his crown to all comers. And the result is that it has a resident population of zero and at least nine different kings who all live overseas.
0: Yeah, um, the king of no one.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly so, exactly.
0: I love, I want to mention, one of the things I love about this book is you can kind of jump around. Um, If you, you know, you read about one country, and and it's very short and lots of factual information, great stories, and I love the maps. Great illustration.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it's nicely designed, too, isn't it? Um, e- each of these non-countries has has four pages, mm-hmm. um, and the first couple of pages give you some background data, population, capital, a picture of the flag. Every, every one of these non-countries in the book has got... Flags, because it's an important symbolic rallying point. And the un- unusual design of this book comes in with, on, on the right hand page of the first two, there's actually a cut-out, a hole in the page to show you the outline of this non country with which most people will not be familiar. So you see this outline into, through this hole in the page, and you think, hmm, where's that then? And you turn over, and the idea is that it's revealed because this non-country, which is surrounded by countries whose names you probably do know, um, is revealed on on, on the next uh, page, opposite of which, as as you say... It's a sort, sort of vignette from the, the, the history, the interesting history of this of this place, which is definitely physically there and visitable, but you probably won't have heard of most of them.
0: Mm-hmm. Here's one I thought was very interesting: uh, the hut. Let's see, is it the hut H U T T located with, in Australia? Must have. Yeah, Hut River
1: Province, Western yeah. Australia. It's it's an odd one. It's a, it's a very large wheat farm which uh, declared independence in the 1970s and, and continues to this day to be Australia's oldest micronation. Why did it declare independence? Because the federal government in Australia decided to cut its wheat quota. They told them they couldn't produce as much wheat as, as they used to produce. And uh, the farmers, the Kaysley family, it's a family-run run business, um, quickly decided that they, they weren't able to make ends meet if they had their um, uh, wheat quota reduced so much. So they fought it in the courts and lost, and eventually their only option was to declare independence, mm-hmm. which they did in, uh, in 1970. And they've been independent ever since. They've had run-ins with Australia. Uh, well, one stage, they even declared war on Australia nice. um, without any great effect, I have to say. And they, right. they, 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 they receded the claim uh, within a week. But it's still there. You can still visit it. They have a post office, and you can you can send a postcard home from Hutt River Province, the independent principality, um, using a stamp. Uh, issued by Hut River, which is one of the ways they make ends meet. Um, lots of these very small um, so-called micro-nations uh, make money by selling the, their currency and their, their stamps, uh, uh, in addition to still producing a bit of wheat. But they're still there, and they're approaching their 50th anniversary.
0: Fantastic. Unfortunately, we do have to wrap up, but where can people find out more about you and this book?
1: So this book, The Atlas of Countries That Don't Exist, is published by Chronicle Books in the U.S. of A., uh, available at all good bookstores or over the Internet. And you can find out more about it uh, either on Chronicle Books' website or on my website. And my website is entitled nickmiddleton.net.net. Perfect.
0: Nick, thank you so much for taking the time to call in. I know you're calling in from Oxford, and there's a time difference, and I just appreciate you taking the time. It's really been great having you on the show.
1: Not at all. Nice to talk to you, Janine.
0: You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Again, that was Nick Milton calling in to talk about his book, Atlas of Countries That Don't Exist. And if you missed any part of it, it is up on my show blog, at thefunkoutshow.kuci.org. Well, that's a wrap for me, and Sheldon Abbott is standing by, and uh, he'll be taken over for Cure for the Blues and I will be out taking calls. Again, the number for our fun drive that's been extended is 949-824-5824. That's also <laughs> 949-UCI-KUCI. And we, again, we, have, we still have tickets. We still have uh, lots of CDs, t-shirts, Flash drives, sports bottles. All sorts of thank yous. Yes. So, the number one more time. 949-824-5824. All right, Sheldon. Time for you to take over. Let's—I'll uh, play a couple PSAs and maybe that Jeff Healy song. Cool. Sounds good. Thanks. Thanks for listening. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. <laughs>